I love my little girls more than anything, and I said to myself, oh, no, don't, you can't, don't say that. But I had underestimated him. He went on, I would rather see my little girls die now, still believing in God, than have them grow up under communism and one day die on uh, I would like to welcome you to episode one, season one of Serial, Jamal Khashoggi. So welcome back to The Left is Dead, and this is going to be the first uh, of our shows that will be uh, more true crime-ish, uh, but- True crime mixed with our world. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, you know, basically just case studies, and usually when we do this, the case will have a cross-pollination with other larger issues. You know, it's not like we're just going to be analyzing uh, a serial killer who tortured people or, you know, inle unless it has some, you know, we're going to start with the, the Jamal Khashoggi case. And this is a rare, uh, a rare case in which we see true crime intersecting with geopolitics. And since I am a true crime uh, buff and author and Jim is a geopolitical analyst and runs a site called Geopolitics Alert and is definitely, I would consider an expert on it, at least in terms of um, counter, uh, you know, counter propaganda um, efforts. I, I think this is a good episode, uh, a good case to start with. Uh, the, the Jamal Khashoggi case is uniquely terrifying as a true crime case, and it is also uniquely terrifying as an example of uh, geopolitical, uh, the nightmarish geopolitical overlap of authoritarian governments with the United States. Uh, so before we get into kind of breaking down the case, um, let, you know, let's get a little backdrop here on, on Saudi Arabia and, uh, you know, let, let's talk about the world that Jamal Khashoggi occupied and his role in this before he was murdered. Spoiler alert, he was murdered. Well, I mean, obviously it's a long time coming. The Saudis were kind of put in place by Eisenhower and the smaller Gulf kingdoms like the UAE and Qatar and things like that were to make sure the Saudis didn't have access to the majority of like oil and gas resources in the region. Now, that's all fine and well, but we can skip ahead to say 1979 and the Islamic revolution in Iran and also the seizure of the Grand Mosque in Riyadh, which turned out to be an embarrassment because the mosque was seized by Saudis who said the Saudi government was not adhering to Islam enough, basically. 
so at that point, uh, Saudi Arabia kind of started sending out, you know, their enraged youth to carry out like a, a, a broader project. And, um, you know, there's, that's gone on, obviously, Afghanistan, Syria, anywhere you name, you know, most people know that the Saudis are connected to most terrorist groups moving around a lot of places. Um, fast forward to today, there's a new crown prince coming in, claiming that he's going to reform the kingdom, claiming that he's cut cutting his ties with terrorism. And you have this uh, vastly dynamic situation, you know, it's a, a dy dynamically different situation. So you have this crown prince trying to cut his ties from this radical Islam type thing. But at the same time, he's securing his power internally. Uh, a lot of our listeners probably remember the hotel arrests where a lot of members of the royal family and a lot of billionaires, frankly, were put up in the uh, hotel in Riyadh for a couple weeks as like a house arrest. And Khashoggi was <clears throat> MBS represented a new sort of wave of younger Saudi leaders. They're not really much more liberal or anything like that, but they are out to secure their own power. And then these older guys, almost actually the kind of liberals like Khashoggi, were the ones who wanted to open up sort of democratic reforms in Saudi Arabia, or they would write, Khashoggi would write things that uh, MBS was basically half-assing his efforts to do things like, oh, women can drive now and, you know, right. stuff like that. So Khashoggi right. was in that split, like you saw at the hotel, Khashoggi was on the wrong side of a split internally in the House of Saud. Right. Yeah, it's important to 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 make that clear that Saudi Arabia, is, uh, India specifically, is posturing as if they are launching progressive reforms to, you know, uh, reformist uh, measures. Uh, you know, but the fact of the matter is they really are still essentially a radical Islamist authoritarian government. And, um, you know, Khashoggi was uh, a critic of that, although he, he you know, he was friends of, of the old guard. Yeah, the, the, it's important to point out he was probably no angel, you know the people he supported on the other side of the conflict. Well, no, I mean, yeah. he was, and, and the fact that he ended up being a Washington Post, uh, you know, being part of the Washington Post apparatus, um, you know. Uh, well, that fits in with another aspect of it is I don't think Washington wants Mohammed bin Salman to be the king of Saudi Arabia. And we'll we'll get into that more later, but he's very irresponsible, and the Khashoggi killing kind of shows how irresponsible he is. But yeah, go ahead, go on. Sorry. Well, I mean, I mean, it, it's important to set this part up because uh, before, I mean, Khashoggi had started a number of different papers 
um, before he left Saudi Arabia. And, you know, he had tried these different papers, they were all banned. And before he was killed, uh, before, you know, pretty recently before his assassination, he had launched these projects to combat online abuse. Um, and so he was collaborating with, with this guy, Omar, um, who is a, a, you know, major public critic of the Saudi regime. Yeah, from and, the wire. Yeah, and so the main project here was called the Army of the Bees. And essentially what they were doing was creating a kind of counter propaganda. It was called, it's known, they described it as a network of pro-democracy activists who would post and amplify one another's messages about Saudi political issues. Um, so that they would advocate for dissidents and political prisoners, freedom of speech, human rights. Uh, and so they, and, and they were providing cybersecurity to people living in Saudi Arabia. Um, so this, you know, from the point of view of MBS, this was, you know, an existential threat to uh, his regime. And um, that's, so that's kind of what he was doing. And the fact is they shouldn't have known that he was even doing that. Um, it, it's been reported that in the summer of 2018, um, Omar's cell phone was infected with a surveillance tool. And what this allowed, uh, what this allowed the Saudi government to do was essentially listen. Uh, uh, it was it's the uh, Pegasus project, and it allowed them basically spyware tool apparatus to crack into Omar, pre presumably Khashoggi too. Um, and so, while publicly Khashoggi was very restrained in his critiques, I mean he. He would critique uh, certain elements of MBS's government and plans, but he, he wasn't going super far with it in public, but privately he was. And so they would have known that because they basically were using spyware to listen to his conversations with Omar. So, you know, very shortly before he was killed, it's important to note that this bees movement was a very significant threat to MBS. And, you know, at same time, Khashoggi uh, was, had been married and then he met someone new and fell in love and they wanted to get married, but he had to get a divorce from his old wife first. And in, in order to do that, he was going to pick up certain documents from the uh, Saudi Arabia Consulate. Consulate in Turkey. Istanbul, yeah. The Turkish embassy. And so he set that up. Uh, he did not expect anything to go wrong. He, he did uh, instruct his fiance who was waiting for him in the car to, you know, be on the lookout, obviously. But it seems like based upon everything we know, it seems like he did not have the slightest clue that uh, unbeknownst to him in, in 15 person like squad of professional assassins had been deployed, dispatched from Saudi Arabia and two days before he even showed up at the embassy, they had flown in 
And it's just kind of chilling to think uh, that he's expecting to start a new life in Turkey with zero, you know, he, he respected the Turkish government. In fact, Khashoggi pointed to Turkey and- it, You know, said, yeah, he did. Because I'll tell you what, he was like a Muslim Brotherhood sympathizer. Absolutely. And, and, and problematic though that may be in terms of geopolitical analysis, and I'm sure you can talk more about this, he, he, he viewed the Turkish government as basically the epitome of what, uh, uh, what a, a reformed Islamist government should be like. And so uh, that is like the major ideological struggle. When you saw um, a good example of it is when you saw Qatar cut off right. from the Saudis and the GCC. The reason for that part of it was for supporting the Muslim Brotherhood. And the issue with the Muslim Brotherhood is they basically believe the same things as the Saudi government or whoever, right? But they're an electoral force, which when you're a monarchy, even that is unacceptable. You know, that's why the fear of like Turkey or Qatar or, and, or even Egypt, you know, uh, Saudis and all those countries were fully behind the coup in Egypt when the Muslim Brotherhood was taken out, which Turkey was not. So this is like an ideological, and that's why we'll get into why it's so crazy that they chose to do it in Turkey, because they are, these are ideological rivals at this point. Right, and we're not there yet, but it also shows why uh, Turkey responded very forcefully to this and we're you know pretty furious about it um but we're not quite there yet but you know so you know cut to the uh Khashoggi does not return to the car where his fiance is waiting for him he's That's been not true a man in his clothes walked out Oh, right. Yes. Uh, but I don't think he stopped and talked to her. <laughs> well, okay. There's two theories. And this is an interesting like fact is like part of this. One theory is a guy put on his clothes and walked out. The second theory is, and the, the Turks alleged that the Saudis gave them this video, which was Kishogi walking into the embassy in reverse. I don't know if that allegation is true, but that is like the evidence we have of Khashoggi supposedly exiting the consulate. Oh, yeah. Well, regardless, uh, Beyonce was waiting, you know, something like six to 10 hours and was frantically Takes going a while to, to cut someone up, asking questions, calling people, and it became pretty clear that something was wrong. And so an investigation is launched by Turkish intelligence. Uh, and eventually the, the pressure gets put pretty hard on MBS to disavow this, to explain it, blah, blah, blah. Obviously he's not gonna admit it. <laughs> um, what, what ends up getting released by a, a US intelligence, although it's not, we can't listen to it, but we there's transcriptions of it and uh, apparently uh Khashoggi after there's surveillance of him walking in he uh is brought to a room 
uh, or prior to him walking in, sorry, um, minutes before he enters the consulate, uh, a Saudi official are there heard discussing how to cut up and transport Khashoggi's body. So minutes before he's walking in. Juan is quoted as saying, the body is heavy. First time I cut it on the ground. If we take plastic bags and cut it into pieces, it will be finished. And at the end, he asked the other whether the sacrificial animal has arrived. So they're referring to Khashoggi as the sacrificial animal. Who exactly recorded this? Uh, presumably, tur- the the actually that's a good point. I don't know because no, I'm betting Turks. We'll get more into that later. Well, yes, probably. But according to official reports, one of the things the Saudi officials did is they dismantled the surveillance system inside the consulate when they arrived, which makes you wonder what level of cooperation there was. How, how did they just take over the Turkish consulate, you know? They were in a Saudi consulate. Oh, right, right. Yeah, they're in a Saudi but, consulate. But, 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 it, and we'll, again, I will say, we'll get into this later. The Turkish government, is especially with Saudi Arabia, is not in a position where they respect rules. You know, it, we'll, we'll talk about it more later, and we'll talk about the uh, releases Erdogan made to the press after the events. Right. And we'll talk about, um, you know, as we're getting into the actual assassins, we'll talk about... <laughs> how much they were recorded from their touchdown to their departure from Turkey. Right. And, and that's an important part because it's hard to imagine that no bells were rung when you have 15 assassins from Saudi flying in two days before Khashoggi is, has an appointment. You know, I guess that maybe they didn't connect the dots. Um, maybe they, this, was just considered implausible that it, it's, this would happen, but I don't know. It, 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 seems, it seems like someone dropped the ball really bad on this. But regardless, uh, uh, so Khashoggi enters and he, uh, he is taken to the consul general's office. And he is told by the Saudi officials, we, we will have to take you back. There is an order from Interpol. Interpol requested you be sent back. We are coming to get you. Uh, <laughs> that may be a mistranslation or something. Um, Khashoggi replies, there isn't a case against me. I, notice, I notified some people outside there waiting for me. A driver is outside waiting for me. At 1333 local time, Khashoggi says, there is a towel here, here, are you going to give me drugs? Someone replies, we will anesthetize you. Uh, at that point, there is uh, a, a, a struggle. There, whatever, wherever this transcription recording came from, there's a sound of a struggle um, during which people are heard say, uh, saying, did he sleep? keep pushing, more movement, heavy panting, plastic sheets. I, I heard at some point Khashoggi said that he has asthma and that what they were doing would kill him. I don't know the exact dialogue. I don't think can be confirmed. I think whatever they were going to do was going to kill him, to be fair. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, Turkish intelligence at 1339 identifies the sound of a bone saw. Um, God damn, dude. They're on top yeah. of it. It's pretty chilling. And like initially I had heard, for some reason, I thought that they cut him up while he was still alive, which was, you know, just like the most horrifying thing ever to me. Doesn't sound like they were that bad. I mean, not that we can split hairs here on what is bad and worse, but you know, they did, it, it does appear they, they injected him with some kind of sedative and then, uh, suffocated him with a plastic bag and then used a bone saw to dismember him, uh, transported his body probably to some woods. Uh, a lot of people think, uh, or investigators searched the Belgrade forest. He was not in a garden. Yeah. So, uh, the body Part is still, still has not been found. No parts are in a garden on like a uh, Saudi property or something. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know. That. Um, I believe so. You'll have to double check me on that now. Major effort went into the cleanup. They have said that it was basically a forensic operation in terms of getting rid of all blood, all just virtually no sign that anyone was there. Um, and that catches us up to the, his disappearance. There's a major international up, uproar about it. Um, and Donald Trump, who was, was very friendly towards the Saudi government, uh, you know, refused to even uh, accuse MBS of being involved, uh, as was Trump's wants. He pretty much took the word of people like Putin and uh, North Korea, you know, he had an incredible propensity to believe the word of autocrats. And well, I'll so, say that Erdogan didn't even directly implicate MBS. But I want to go into the Turkish investigation. Okay, yeah. I want to outline some of the things that happened during the Turkish investigation of this, this plot. Um, first off, <laughs> starting from number one, uh, the Turkish government had, uh, you know, these, what, 17 to 20 Saudi nationals all belonging to high government posts and the security forces arrive on a private jet in Istanbul they followed them getting off all the way to the embassy, watched them unload, or to the, con to the Saudi consulate, watched them unload what they had. They had video of Khashoggi going in. They had video of the guy wearing Khashoggi's clothes walking out. They had audio, uh, allegedly, that they released to other EU like leaders. They had audio from inside the consulate they had uh, video, you know, they had doctored video the Saudis released of like Khashoggi walking backwards. They had found, uh, I swear they had found uh, Khashoggi's body parts in a garden nearby. Uh, as you mentioned, they, 
they literally identified the sound of the bone saw. Like, um, the Turkish government, it's crazy. And we've discussed this on other shows just in passing. But for the Saudis to think that Turkey is the state where you're going to get away with this, especially as, you know, uh, Erdogan won't accuse MBS directly of doing this, but he does accuse like Saudi intelligence and the Saudi, you know, high level members of the Saudi government. And it's interesting to me that, yeah, it during like a regional rivalry where these people are kind of taking on the different polls uh, Turkey is not so anti-Iran as, say, Saudi Arabia is. Uh, Turkey is not so, like, they still do business with them, but they're not so cool with Israel as, like, the Gulf states are that just made all these weapons deals. Um, there's a lot of diplomatic shit going on that makes Turkey a horrible place for these dumbasses to do a murder, especially since the coup in 2016 it's basically like a fucking, you know, it's a panopticon where everything is monitored, you know, social media is constantly shut off. And the fact that like these foreign agents flying in on a private jet didn't think they would have immediately be picked up and watched wherever they went shows just how reckless, uh, it shows how either reckless the Saudi government is or... Or it shows that MBS literally is like, yeah, nobody will give a shit. Yeah, they're incredibly arrogant. And I yeah. think that's further evidence by what you said about it, it is fairly well established that someone was hired to wear Khashoggi's clothes uh, and leave the consulate. Now, in my mind, what that means is that was intended to uh, very obviously a wanted to make it look like Khashoggi left and then and then so they would have they would be able to show surveillance of him leaving and then he would disappear they would say he disappeared after that and that would absolve them of responsibility they were trying to get enough leverage with the Turks right they were trying to get enough to get off with the Turks but you know what the issue at the time was well the issue still is but I can't remember the the specific uh fight at the time but the Turks it might have been over Qatar or Iran but the Turks were in a dispute with Saudi Arabia like an open dispute with Saudi Arabia over a specific issue and hang on hang on and the Turks were at a very bad place with Saudi Arabia where they didn't give a shit what they thought right so for them to the way Erdogan managed this crisis, which is Turkish President Erdogan, the way he managed this crisis after it happened, if you remember, it was a constant, like, steady drip of one story a day in the news. Almost mm-hmm. like a Trump-type figure, I guess, you know, in the way you'd say it. It's like the dude knew how to play the media. He knew how to play politics. One day it would be like, oh, Khashoggi goes missing. The next day would be like, oh, Khashoggi, here's the video of some guy walking out in his suit. Oh, Khashoggi never came out of consulate. Khashoggi believed dismembered. And there was like a steady month and a half of dropping those things. Like 
say we like I said, like say we will do Erdogan is a media bitch. You know, you know what I mean? He's well, like I mean, Trump. He knows what he's doing. I don't I don't know too much about the relationship specifically between Turkey and Saudi Arabia, but it I'm just yeah, I'm just trying to explain to you here. Like this is something that factors in. Like you have to understand Turkey as okay. As simple as it can be, Turkey is basically the representative of the Muslim Brotherhood at this point, right? They are the main Muslim Brotherhood party in power. And are they pro the are they pro the bombing of Yemen? Are they I don't think they they, they send some Al Qaeda fighters to Yemen. Uh, typically, who knows? I don't even know what they're for. But I mean, they're more concerned with stuff in like um, the Middle East, like or like Armenia and stuff. Like they sent their mercenaries into Armenia not too long ago, you know. So they're more concerned with expanding like more neo Ottoman stuff, and obviously they went to fight in Libya and stuff like that. But the thing is, that's that's what causes all these conflicts with Saudi Arabia. There's these fights in like Libya where Egypt is on the other side of things. There's these fights in Syria, you know, where they're against the United States will. Um, Qatar, when Qatar, that was the big one. Qatar was blockaded by Saudi Arabia. Turkey took up, you know, took up to their aid. So that was a big one that ignited a regional rivalry between like this Muslim Brotherhood sect and then uh, the Saudis. And then Egypt, too, which is like a military dictatorship, but was a Muslim Brotherhood state. Like that, the kind of thing pisses off uh, Erdogan's party. Well, it should probably also be noted that this is fairly close to being around the time where Erdogan was, was you know, taking on the Kurds. And he did that basically by uh, Trump essentially allowed him to do what he wanted against the Kurds. And so that may factor into a little bit of Erdogan, while definitely coming out against the assassination, it could factor into him um, somewhat almost indirectly supporting Trump's line and not directly accusing MBS of being responsible. Uh, Well, Turkey delegitimizing uh, Saudi Arabia there's a billion things driving it. Uh, the Turkish lira has been diving the last like year and a half, you know, oh, probably like two years, you know, now that I think about it with the whole year of COVID. Um, these Turkish adventures, like you said, in Syria and the uh, recently in Iraq, they lost a couple of like commandos and shit like that. Um, there's these sort of endless operations. And now you see the lira and the turkish economy collapsing right but you see turkish adventures all of a sudden paying to go out into like uh fight between azerbaijan and armenia and you see turkish money going to fight in libya you know like those things as much as the turkish are nationalists and they like to see that expansionist behavior when the liras dropped like a hundred fucking some percent in the last two years, it doesn't mean as much to you, you know. Uh, Erdogan's whole base is, you know, meant uh, it, it's built on like 
mustering up nationalism, anti-Kurds, anti-Arabs, you know, neo-Ottoman type shit. But if your economy's in the dump at home, it's a lot harder to sell people on that no matter what. You know what I mean? Sure. Let's get back to our timeline here. Um, because we're, I think we've gotten a little bit of ahead of, our, ahead of ourselves here. But Yeah, we're all over, but I mean, all over the place, but whatever. Um, we'll structure the next one better, everyone. October 10th. So this is, what is it, weeks? Um, God, where, where did he, where, when does he die? Okay. Friday the 13th. October 2nd, basically, is when he's killed. So, um, Turkish presidency confirms Khashoggi did not leave the consulate. Um, uh, what happens next? MBS is basically denying knowledge of it. October 7th, President Erdogan, uh, Erdogan says he remains hopeful about the fate of Khashoggi. <laughs> Erdogan says video footage of the entrances would be reviewed. Um, but already the Reuters news agency is saying that a 15 man hit squad was involved. Uh, October 8th, Erdogan says the burden of proof falls on the Saudis while President Trump uh, finally says he's concerned about it. Um, the Washington Post uh, says that US intelligence has intercepted communications of Saudi officials planning to abduct Khashoggi. Um, October 10th, Turkey finally identifies surveillance footage of the, uh, uh, you know, confirms that there was an assassination group. Um, so, I mean, this just, you're right, this was a slow drip. I mean, this was just, this goes on forever. Every day there is just like a new chapter of this and it just goes back and forth. And I think the effect of this was to essentially take the horror and the immediacy out of it. You know, uh, a journalist for the Washington Post being extrajudici extrajudicially executed and assassinated in Turkey is a pretty big deal. Um, and I, it, it should have been, an, an, I mean, there was an uproar about it, but it kind of got uh, diluted by the rollout of the information, which I think was probably intentional. Um, so that by October, even as early as October 15th, um, Trump is already echoing MBS in saying that Khashoggi's death was the work of rogue killers, right? Now, anyone who knows anything about Saudi Arabia and MBS knows that there's just simply no way that an operation of this scale could have gone on without MBS knowing about it. I mean, it's just- Well, high one of the people on the plane was like part of his inner circle and part of his like top right. security force. Right. And they use like private jets with like state permission, you know. October 20th, Saudi Arabian official says that 
the operatives who killed Khashoggi put him in a chokehold after overstepping their orders. So the brutal execution was an overstepping of orders. Yeah, and a couple days later was when the Saudi family forced the Khashoggi family to meet with them for a photo op. October 23rd, President Erdogan accuses Saudi Arabia of planning the killing days before his murder. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know the exact verbiage of how we worded it, but here it sounds like Erdogan has a somewhat forceful statement. It does, I don't know if he's directly accusing MBS, but how could he not be directly accusing MBS? So, go ahead. Um, yeah, you know what? It is at, at the time, now that I'm looking through things, it was at a time where uh, so Erdogan was deploying the S-400s and overturning elections in their own country and siding with Qatar over the GCC at the same time this was all going on. And this was at a time where the Gulf states were using that to demonize the Turkish government and, you know, more like hawkish NATO members were also demonizing the Tur Turkish government for buying Russian weapons. So this is important to keep in, in mind as like a background context. As Turkey releases like this information, like I said, I said in this drip on like their regional adversary, this is what's going on in the background. They're facing sure. a lot of scrutiny from NATO and like Western countries. Sure. So do you, and so you think that's pushing them into being more forceful against MBS or less forceful? I think that's pushing them into being more forceful. That's what I mean. That's why they're doing the daily media drip. They're covering their own, sure. you know, scandals. They did this on purpose because MBS really was a regional rival to Erdogan. He still is in a way. And honestly, that's what I mean. I cannot understand for the life of me why they killed Khashoggi in Turkey. I guess it's because it's the closest place they could get him. Where, but else, it, would, where else would they do it? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. At best, like maybe you'd find him in Lebanon, but it doesn't seem like he was going there. He was staying in like NATO countries. Yeah, you know what was, I mean? Yeah, he was being very careful, which makes it. Yeah, old, that's. It it's just tragic that he thought he was safe in Turkey and absolutely was not. It's very. It just sad. blows my mind to go for Turkey because Turkey is and has at the time has been looking to be like the other pole in the middle east All right well maybe that's a direct i mean maybe that's mbs issuing a direct challenge to their rival like well, we're gonna <laughs> well he blew it we're gonna do this shit yeah so november 15th saudi arabia indicts 11 people for the murder of Khashoggi. uh they seek the death penalty for five of them so <laughs> Is MBS, you know, trying to contain the damage of this, you know, pretending, you know, think about, think about how kind of fuck that is. So I mean, you're, yeah. you're a 
you're a Saudi Arabian operative and you are hired by your, your ruler to go do a very you know, classified and difficult mission in Turkey, which is a very dangerous thing to do. You, you, you complete the mission, you come back and then you're arrested and, and, and executed by him for doing what he told you to do. My thing is that I don't even know they're operatives. How do I know they're not just some guy? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, whatever. because I mean, what, what, based on what, like, you know, when Trump, like, let the uh, Saudis do the Khashoggi report, they're just like, yeah, we found ourselves innocent, right? And we got these few, like, guys who weren't connected to anyone that we're going to kill. For all I know, they're just, like, some dudes. For all we know, they're the young Turks, you know? They could have just, well, they could have just been, like, some guy who got caught, like, dancing on a street corner. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. It, it, it may not be official government operatives it could just there's be, I, I would trust the turkish justice system before i would ever trust the saudi justice system because that's just a royal court you know what yeah. i mean it it, it means could, nothing to me it could be a dude that got caught listening to american rock music or stole an orange or let his wife drive you know like who knows what you know what they did um yeah november but, 18th trump said he will not listen to the tape with Fo interview with Fox News, Trump says, we have the tape. I don't want to hear the tape. No reason for me to hear the tape. Well, how presidential. Um, he couldn't do it. He's a pussy. He is. He's a lot. And he grabs. No, he literally couldn't do it. He'd throw up. He'd throw up his McDonald's and Diet Coke. Yeah, he'd throw the fuck up. He's a fucking baby, dude. By, de by December, the UN is calling for investigations. Murder trial starts in July, January 3rd in Saudi Arabia. Um, and I don't know, I mean, this just goes on and on. The fact of the matter is, we still don't fully know what happened. And well, whoa, 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 whoa. We lead up to today. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I'm not done yet. I'm saying- Oh, okay. It, I'm basically, Sorry. I'm trying to get to the to Trump leaving and Biden taking over. All right, sorry. I thought you were like wrapping up there. <laughs> no, I, think I think that's the narrative change that we have to look at next. Now we have a phone call from Adnan Syed. No, no, he's not there. Go ahead. I thought to myself, how could someone be both guilty and not guilty? Cue <laughs> the banjo to support us. Please, uh, please donate to our Patreon account. You will receive a wooden bird and organic vegetables. Um, no, we are not asking you for anything. Could care less whether you donate money to us. No, our Patreon goes to Proud Boy Defense Fund. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Anyway, next step. Well, okay, I'm. I'm Okay, sorry. Right, I'm sorry. You have a structure, and I'm fucking it up. I not. I have no structure. You should know me better than that. Um, you had anyway, notes. I can tell you have notes, dickhead. December seventeenth, two thousand nineteen. So literally a year later, U.S. Congress passes defense bill that includes a provision that the director of national intelligence will provide an unclassified report outlining evidence on advanced knowledge and role of any current or former Saudi official. Uh, of the Kosho uh, with knowledge of the Khashoggi killing. 
Um, but the Trump administration, so Congress uh, essentially conscripted this, this report through a defense bill. Um, the Trump administration declines to release this report, uh, telling legislators that revealing the information would compromise national security. Um, Khashoggi's son, uh, what is this? I don't know. It's just, there's so much bullshit from Saudi Arabia here. Baram. Yeah. Um, Baram Khashoggi. Well, okay. Let me, I'm trying to jump to the election here because. Yeah, that, get to that. Really nothing happens under. We're Trump. getting late. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, January 19th, 2021, nominee for. Uh, National Intelligence says during her Senate confirmation hearing, incoming administration of Joe Biden will release the unclassified intelligence report on Khashoggi. Um, a month into his presidency, however, February 20th, Biden has not had a one phone call with Saudi Arabia and will only communicate with King Solomon and not MBS. Um, you know, I don't think he's called Erdogan either. Yeah. So uh, this timeline kind of ends here, but uh, you know, to catch us up here, uh, Biden did release the unclassified report, but on pretty much the same day, Biden said that he has no current plans to in any way sanction Saudi Arabia right. or really do anything against MBS. So uh, let, let's, let's talk about what you think Biden's role is here and why it's significant. The end game. The end game uh, proves that I don't know what we all know, right? Saudi Arabia, um, maybe not necessarily their oil reserves at this point, but their foreign investment, their, uh, their holdings of like U.S. treasuries and things like that. Um, their willingness to buy U.S. arms and U.S. technology. Uh, you know, I don't think we necessarily rely on them for oil anymore, but I do think they're a major, like, they're a Ponzi scheme, basically, right? We sign them these deals where we send them things that we pay for out of our tax dollars as, like, foreign aid, right? The same with, like, Israel or anywhere else, you know? So we do these things. And I think the fact of the matter is, is that it's like, it's like if you find out you have, you're a distributor and you find out you're distributing to like a restaurant that steals tips. Do you stop distributing? In the case of a moral person, yes. In the case of a person who sees like, oh, well, this person is shorting their staff on tips and therefore I can up my revenue. You know, that's the way like the US government sees all situations. And Saudi Arabia plays a key role in that aspect because this is a country with genuinely, genuinely like more money than they know what to do with. You know, after the oil booms in like the 80s and stuff, that's when like massive foreign investment by the Saudis started here. 
and they had more money than they knew what to do with. And that's really become just a factor of the American economy. So I don't think it's oil, but as far as military bases and stuff like that go, uh, I think, you know, there's um, the importance of the military presence, but basically uh, Riyadh acts as like another financial city on par with like, london dubai uh or new york you know and i think it's very much tied in to the global capitalist system and that's why we don't want to challenge them but at the same time that's why i think a lot of leaders get nervous about Mohammed bin salman because they think like hey this guy who started the yemen war six years ago told us it would be over in six weeks he might be kind of a dipshit you know well no and i think that's really important analysis and so so you think so you would would you argue that saudi arabia as a client and purchaser of military weapons from the us that is a more significant role than their than their status as an oil provider i would say so with the drop of oil prices and the ability for the united states like when oil prices rise, like our self-sufficiency through like technology, like fracking for natural gas and just um, the, especially with like Republican administrations and stuff like that, the, uh, or even Obama, you know, the, the willingness for pipelines or like drilling in formerly protected areas. Right. So in, in, in summary then, what we have here is a situation where Khashoggi who, while not an American citizen, um, is a journalist for the Washington Post and works in service of a pro-democracy message that very much, uh, you know, favors the West, glorifies the West. He enters a consulate uh, alive. He leaves dismembered in various plastic bags. But because uh, he, his killers uh, are run by a very powerful authoritarian Mideast state that is a very important uh, uh, client for the U.S. in terms of money and resources, um, that is more important ultimately than, you know, law and order or, or any kind of transparency or accountability. It's kind of chilling. I mean, it's chilling uh, from the point of view of a journalist it's chilling from the point of view of, of anyone that, I mean, if you, the human side of this story is a man who finally has his life together uh, from all reports, uh, he was kind of happy for the first time in a long time, um, drives up to a consulate with his fiance about to get the documents he needs to get married and is brutally killed and, and, and nothing has been really done about it because this is not a normal case in which, uh, you know, indicting and, and charging 11 Saudi officials, that really isn't enough because this was an extrajudicial state-sanctioned execution by MBS. But at the same time, this should have been expected, right? I mean, look at 9-11. Right. Look at, and, yeah, look at the 9-11 lawsuits. Look at the attempts to block the 9-11 victims' lawsuits. Look at right. the attempts to block the, you know, the 11 pages or whatever. Absolutely. And that's, so, I mean, all this talk about, you know, years, decades now of a 9-11 conspiracy. 
the irony is we kind of know what the conspiracy is now. So, the Saudis were behind most yeah, it of it. It was kind of blatant from the beginning. And, and, and to a T, every administration since then, with, with the exception of allowing for families to sue Saudi Arabia, um, there has not been any other kind of real uh, recrimination for that action. And now they've done it again. Uh, this time, not a, a terror attack, but no, I, uh, you know, it's how, incredible. How are you going to sue Saudi Arabia as a fan? You know, <laughs> Saudi Arabia is going to ha- hire every pedophile lawyer from fucking Alan Dershowitz to whoever. And they'll have some of the best fucking pervert lawyers on their team who are like the most connected people to like judici- judicial hearings and shit like that. Like, it's like, not, it's like suing Disney. There may not be a better metaphor for the U.S. than if one of our strategic partners kills your loved one, you can sue them, but they won't face any criminal uh, liability. And they'll hire a pedophile. Right. I'm so, sorry. Yeah. Everybody hires Dershowitz. And I don't know how much more is, there is to be said about this. I mean, I think one of the, no, uh, one of the arguments we got into uh, involved whether Biden is making more of an effort to do anything about this. But I don't know. What, what, what more points do you have to make? Well, I think the end's here, you know. I think the report's in. Biden's not doing more about this. The, I guess you could say Biden's doing more about this by saying, oh, yeah. MBS knew about it. You know, you could say that he did that more than Trump, but beyond like sanctions or some type of like targeted fucking intervention, like uh, intelligence intervention or something like, well, okay, let me put it like this. Some type of like known intelligence intervention is unlikely at the same time. I do see a genuine possibility that somebody fucking says like, yeah, we can't have this dumbass be king. You know, like, I, I, I feel like um, if there's like a faction in the royal family that's strong enough to prop back up, I think that like the, the American and uh, European intelligence, intelligence agencies will likely do that, honestly, if they can find a way to keep MBS from becoming uh, king. Because I think they really do think he is a dumbass, whether it's between, like, the Yemen war or things like his plan for uh, the future city of Neom. Have you heard about that? Speaking of the Yemen war... Um, well, hang on, hang on. Have you heard of Neom? No. Okay, it's just, like, a future city where it's like super gentrified, but it's all in a straight line where everything you need is within blocks of a walk. So it's just like a repeating like line in the middle of the desert. But yeah, what was your question of Yemen? Sounds exciting. I want to go there. Um, well, Terrible. Uh, you know, do you, I mean, one thing Biden did do at the same, around the same time, uh, same week, certainly that he said he's, you know, he's going to release the report. He's not doing much else. However, he did 
suspend um, aid to Saudi Arabia in the Yemen war? Do you, do you think that, I mean, do you not think that that was some kind of response? No, I don't, because what if you look at it, he suspended defensive aid. And I think when you start talking about people like Saudi Arabia, what they define as defensive and offensive kind of blurs lines. And in fact, about two weeks after that happened, um, I believe a Saudi site got struck by a drone and the Americans helped facilitate a response, like a, a missile response or something like that. So what they've decided to, to deem offensive becomes, uh, oh, yeah, it, it can be offensive if it's in response to something stupid. You know what I mean? It can be overwhelmingly offensive to the point where we, like, bomb civilian areas in exchange for, like, a Yemeni drone like hitting a, a, the tarmac of our airport. So I think what they, I think it's dangerous to trust the Saudis' definition of, oh, this is offensive, this is defensive. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Well, I mean, I think it probably depends more on how much money we're talking about. Like, did, you know, did he suspend like one tenth of the resources that? previously were going there or did he suspend all of it you know like i don't know i don't know that he like suspended it based on price i think he suspended it based on like action i'd have to look more into it but anyway it's yeah it's hard to know what the hell is going on but it's... but the thing is this is a parasitic relationship dude it, it, it's not going away under joe biden it's not going away under the next like five presidents or at best you know sure and i think that's what's so interesting and I mean, certainly tragic, but interesting about this case is that it's a brutal, chilling, true crime case that gets swept up in this incredibly dense, complicated uh, geopolitical situation in which there's, we basically know very little of what's, what's really going on behind the scenes. And it's gotta be just maddening for Khashoggi's family his poor fiance. I mean, it's got to be just a, what, what a nightmare. I mean, there's no, you have everyone posturing as if they want to find the truth. You have all, all of these messages being put out, all these statements, yeah. all these, all these different governments and agencies investigating. And yet at the end of the day, you have virtually no chance of any kind of real accountability or transparency. Right. That's got to be just uh, heartbreaking and maddening. No, yeah, even when they found the truth, they just said, fuck it. You know? There was the yeah. attitude of, like, the Khashoggi report from the house. It was like, oh, yeah, it looks like MBS did it. And, like, man, he buys a lot of stuff. Yeah. Leave, leave it alone. Yeah. You know, like, that's bullshit. Like, and it's the same with the fucking, like, be, when... The fact that, uh, you know, the 9-11 families had to go to court just to get the right to sue the Saudi Arabians, even though they were, like, clearly implicated in it. So, like, here are people who, like, have nothing, probably spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on, like, the ones with, like, relatives who lived through 9-11 with, like, medical bills 
or just like totally went in debt like when like one of their members of their family stopped working and they had to like pitch into like a fund just to get the right to sue the Saudi Arabians, you know, and they take it to like a federal friggin' court, man. Well, and and just flip the tables here, and let's let's imagine random example. Most random imagine example. all the people. Imagine um, an extremist. Uh, imagine the government of Bolivia ordered the extrajudicial uh, execution of a right wing journalist. Uh, do, you, do, do you not believe for a second that the U.S. government would literally be invading Bolivia or, or, or any well, country? I mean, you don't have to imagine. Uh, Tony Blinken right now is calling uh, Evo Morales, uh, not Evo, but his party arresting Inez, the coup leader. They arrested her on treason charges rightfully so and uh anthony blinken the secretary of state is saying like oh this is illegal it's a dangerous precedent like yeah it doesn't it so you know justice is completely dependent upon money politics uh and geopolitical leverage it's whether you're a vassal or not right you know and that's the important thing to take away from the khashoggi case uh, nothing will happen because the state it happened in is a NATO vassal and the state that did it is uh, one of the major vassals for just U.S. imperialism throughout the Gulf. And I don't know. I, I, I'm fine leaving it at that. How about yeah, you? I think that's good. I think you could cut it right there. Join us next season on Serial, where we follow a true patriot who goes and blows away a pedophile member of the Gambino crime family for this sicko child trafficking, Hillary Clinton, and his connection to the Frazzle Drip video. We'll see you again on The Left is Dead, Serial, not the same serial as whatever that shitty one is.